You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordics region. I'm Gemma, I help connect business with tech talent and today I'm your host. Dormant of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined with Hans, Frederick and Katia to talk about how to develop the most effective team structure. Um, as usual, we'll go around the room and introduce ourselves to start off with. Hans, would you like to go first? Great. Uh, so my name is Hans Hanstrom. I've been working in the IT industry for about 20 years now. Uh, last few years, mainly with uh, the agile process and uh, how to form and shape teams and how to make sure that we deliver software on time. Perfect. And then Frederick? Yeah, hello. My name is uh, Frederick Stave and um, I work as an engineering manager in uh, Shipstead and uh, I'm responsible for the development at e24.no, which is uh, one of the largest uh, Norwegian um, financial newspapers. Um, yeah, and I've uh, been working in IT around about seven years now. Yeah. Incredible. Thank you for that. And then last but by no means least, Katia. Yeah, hi, uh, my name is Katja Pregenzer. I'm a uh, software engineer and um, team manager with uh, Lime Technologies. And yeah, my team is responsible for uh, implementing and developing. Uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, my team is responsible for implementing add ons to our CRM system and yeah, de- delivering those. And I have also around about seven years of experience in the field. Perfect. So we've been very experienced, um, which is really good. We should be able to get some good insights. Um, so you've all prepared a question or subtopic on how to develop the most effective team structure. And I think from reading them and researching it beforehand, these are definitely something that's really, really interested and relevant at the moment as we all come back into office and do different ways of working. It's quite interesting to see how all your different teams are currently operating. So I think it'd be good as Katia, could you start us off with your question and why you want to talk about it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm coming from a, a product company. So we have quite a lot of legacy code or just code that somewhere else has written some, some time. And uh, so there's quite a lot of um, challenges around having a knowledge transfer about subdomains that uh, not too many people know about. Um, yeah. So I was wondering if what kind of experience you guys have in terms of um, increasing knowledge transfer and making sure that um, teams, the uh, bus factor that we have on specific subdomains are um, yeah, correct with the complexity that that domain brings and um, how to prioritize that when the focus mostly is to get more features out and less uh, to improve the code quality or the the bus factor. Perfect, thank you for that. And Hans, what do you think about that? Would you like to start off with your thoughts? Yeah, I think uh, as always, there is uh, so many factors that depend on what situation you're in uh, in general on this, because you can look at it from many ways. There are uh, like a lot of things that that come into play here. But one of the things to look into most is uh, if this is something that the company wants to to kill off going forward, then it makes no sense for them to invest um, uh, in it more and have like redundancy in terms of teams. That's usually how it's worded from business. But what that boils down to for for developers and us as uh, team managers in some capacity is to 
to also relate it to back to business side and take the, the stance of a team to say, if you say that, that's fine, but it will have an impact. If that person quits, that will have be something that was going to uh, hit back of a company. Uh, and so that's the risk that that um, is taken by business when they say we we can't have more people than uh, than this uh, working at this particular task. So that's one way to look at it, and I think that's the, that's the first thing to bring in. Does this mean that we should give up and not not care about the the development or like doing the best effort we can? No, of course not. But it's about setting the expectations here and not just making this trickle down to the team and having the single developer sitting on a Friday night don't knowing how to release because you can't build a proper release train on it. Of course, that's that's a huge, huge problem. And we should always work to overcome these. But it's really important to take this to the business side and, and, and make them understand what these decisions uh, really um mean when it comes to the development of it and have a good strategy for for killing off systems like this and if they're not to be killed off uh, even if that would be sort of the dream scenario with some some annoying legacy systems if that's never going to come into play then that should be accepted and worded and that should be something that we make a plan then for how to to uh, to keep working on the system not just having a single person being stuck with this just because he or she knows it, because that's not very fair. And in the end, in the end, it will just mean that that person would leave and uh, have a bad experience of the company. So it's not ideal, and it's something that, that has to be taken uh, taken back to business. And if I could uh, just um, <clears throat> add on to that, um, I also think that uh, this is a really tricky one because, um, of course, depending on the company size, um, you will. Uh, <laughs> any given time have a lot of system run uh, systems running in production that are sort of they work and there are no more features to add to it because they just work maybe you use it once every every year uh, for let's say a competition or something um and in those instances i think it's really important to um to have sort of a rotation in the team um doing maintenance on the on the products at least if they are uh, supposed to stay alive for uh, for a long period of time um, because then that knowledge transfer is slowly but surely just being done sort of on its own within the team and then uh, that of course takes time and uh, discipline uh, but um, I believe that's also a way to solve it um, I can like from experience we have uh, a lot of systems in production um, that we very rarely uh, tend to but what we've done is sort of implement uh, what we call detox days, which are basically maintenance days. And on those days, we can work on whatever system that needs care. Um, and in that way, we will see a lot of systems over the course of a year or two. Very good inputs. Thank you. Lovely. Well, Katia, do you want to move on to the second half of your question? Um, yeah, so, I mean... I think that it's partly answered already with your with your um, inputs, but uh, we work a lot on projects, and I think in a lot of those cases that I'm thinking of, there are there isn't an intent to actually kill it off. Uh, it's more like you have um, fluctuations in the teams, and that system is has been maintained by maybe a couple more people, but there aren't that many left and uh but you want to keep that system alive and so my strategy oftentimes to to increase the maintenance level is to do a project and actually have people for a couple of weeks work on a product or on the subdomain 
Um, but that means that you can't do features and uh, yeah, new cool things about it. It's not really the best customer uh, value that you get out of it. So um, I was wondering how you have these kind of conversations um, with a business, um, with business in terms of like how, what to prioritize and when. Frederick? Yes, I can go. Yeah, so I think um, it's, uh, it's, it's a pickle because it's um, really difficult to, when you have marketing and, uh, and sales sort of uh, coming at you with, uh, well, we need these and these and those features. Um, and we need them yesterday, of course, as you always do. Um, and then you have all of these other systems that are sort of <laughs> back in the corner here. And um, of course, they, they work and they have a specific purpose, but they aren't really generating money, right? So they are more there for, let's say, an admin panel or something like that. It's just, it's critical that it's there, but it's uh, it's not that important to drive business value. So uh, what you have to do, I think, is try to uh, put all of those systems in context um, and sort of basically um, teach business, that the sales and marketing people that Without this thing, you can't add, let's say, job ads or advertisement into the system uh, because uh, you won't have a panel to do that. Then you, then we would be basically without um, uh, any income. So I think trying to put those critical systems that aren't really necessarily valuable from a business perspective into, sort of into the value chain, that, that is uh, one way of trying to raise the level of, um, of understanding. Lovely. And Hans, have you got any experience within this and all your experience um, in different companies? Have you come across this quite a lot? Yeah, I mean, first off, I think a uh, very good question. Uh, it's uh, something that happens uh, a lot, I think. Uh, now, I don't think there is a single sort of silver bullet solution at all to this, uh, as you spoke about as well, Frederick. Um, but one way that I've found useful in the past have been to uh, to try to incorporate this into sprints and say that we're going to do like 20% uh, of one particular sort of thing so that we do this continuously. Now, sometimes that works. Sometimes it has to be a sort of a very uh, focused effort. And then you can take one or two or more sprints, depending on sprint lengths and needs and so on, uh, where you just do this. Uh, for uh, for instance, it can be perfect to do during summer or during the holidays or something like that when uh, there is more people, you know, uh, off and it's hard to do normal things that you can just focus on these these things. But again, it's it's very very hard to say this is uh, the best way of doing it. It depends very much on the environment and the trust between uh, uh, the product owner and the team and so on, uh, because. Some product owners, they really see the value of this. Some product owners just think this is a sort of engineering wants to go slow for a while. Should I let them or not? It's really hard to uh, to to grasp uh, these questions unless you have been with the team and been with the industry for a while as a product owner. But if there is this trust, then I think you, you should be as honest as you can with it. Um, and uh, if there is any product owners listening into this, if a team asks you for this, that's usually a good way of, of gaining their confidence. So try to be open-minded and understand the needs of the engineering teams when, when they come with uh, requests like this. I think it's something definitely I'm guilty of. Um, I'll go to our tech team and say, can you do this and not really understand all the work that it goes into? I just think it will happen and then I just click a button and it works. Um, so 
definitely good for me to listen to that um hopefully I can improve that way uh lovely well Frederick do you have anything to go back on what Hans just said or Katia yeah I also think uh, of course um working closely with your product manager is also key I think um in order to uh, sort of um work um closely with the business um side uh just to sort of get um, I lost my wording there so I'm going to start over <laughs> yeah working I think uh, working closely with the with your P, uh, product manager is uh, really important because um, they can help uh, sort of working with the business side to uh, focus on the right things, uh, focus on what engineering actually believes are important to focus on right now, even though it might not generate uh, too much um, sort of value on the, on your bottom line, but will still sort of be important for the future. Yeah. yeah something like that i think oh. you just scratch all i just said actually <laughs> no worries katia yeah one way we approached this uh last year at least um once was that we had one maintenance project so in, we we are usually in our um in our sprints we call them cycle um have like two projects in parallels parallel in the team and one of them then was uh, basically maintaining uh, software that needed, yeah, refactoring in some some shape or form, and most of them also were in desperate need for some knowledge transfer. So you could could well combine that, but that's nothing that you can really do um, every other every other sprint. So um, yeah, but that worked fairly well. That's good. And before we move on, is there anything you want to add on this topic, or are we okay to move on to Hans's question? Let's, let's move on. Perfect. Well, I think that was some great insight. Um, Hans, you're focusing a little bit more on leaders and how to deal with accountability. Do you want to move on to that area? Uh, yeah, uh, we can start with that question. I mean, uh, in what way should we as leaders deal with accountability for teams without micromanaging their efforts? Uh, it's very much a something that you encounter in everything you do as a leader. Uh, you should always know what they're doing, but should you ask it? Should you check with them constantly? Should you have like, bring it up every time you talk to the person? How are you doing in this project? How is things going? Uh, or should you just like interact with them a more uh, on a different level, not you go into these details all the time? Which one is the best? Um, and again, uh, that's really something that is a hard question and no, no easy answers. But what's your take, uh, I guess, Frederick, if you want to start? Yeah, sure. I can start. Uh, and uh, you basically answered the question for me. <laughs> it's uh, really no uh, no silver bullet or uh, sort of one single answer is the correct one. I mean, I think you really have to get to know the people on your team and figure out what works for each one. I mean, some, uh, let's say uh, you're, uh, you're uh, an engineering manager, for instance, and uh, you have reports and uh, some of them might ask you a lot of questions and require a lot of input, right? And others sort of uh, be fine with just working more um, independently and doesn't really need that much guidance in terms of how and what to do. Um, and I mean, that all depends on seniority in the team, right? Because a person being in a company for, let's say, eight to 10 to 20 years uh, would of course not require as much guidance in how and what to do uh, at any given time um, 
then you should probably try to focus your efforts more on setting the sort of um, long-term plans for that team. But if you have a team with really junior engineers that are uh, maybe just have a one or two years uh, working as a developer or a designer, I think it's more important to sort of have this back and forth with, with the with those to just sort of make sure that they understand the task at least. And uh, of course, you should always try to let them do it on their own and don't, don't micromanage how to do it. Because then what's the point of sort of <laughs> having employees then you can just do it yourself, right? Um, <laughs> it's um, I think that's important to just get a feel for each individual on the team and um, and go from there and sort of do different things for the different employees. Yeah. And Katia, what do you think? Yeah, so I think a general overview on like how things are going without going in too much level uh, detail level, uh, we have stand-ups for that. And I think that's probably a very good place to start just to hear where people are at and in how far um, they're stuck or not. And you will very easily hear if someone keeps talking about the same things uh, two days in a row, you probably should look into that. Um, uh, then the, the next thing I think is also to make sure you combine the more senior, uh, seniority um, with the more junior developers. So when we do our projects, I pay attention to have mostly um, two seniors and one junior in the same team. That's kind of my favorite setup. And with that, you can have someone else do the yeah checking for the accountability. Um, also, one thing I think that helps a lot is if the product manager isn't just talking to you as an engineering manager, but actually has very close contact to each team member and each team member is, feels comfortable just reaching out and asking a question in terms of like, is this requirement meant as being this or that? Um, that helps as well. And generally one, one activity that I think is going very well for us is Friday demos. So the whole engineering team once a week has an hour of demos where basically everyone gets to demo for a couple of minutes what mm. the progress of the last week has been. And that's always a fun thing on a totally um, a lot of different points of views, but also to just um, show what you've done and um, yeah, work work towards and just before I let you do back in hands how are all your teams operating are you fully remote in person or operating via a hybrid system uh, me? Yeah. Uh, so we have a hybrid hybrid mode um, we have maybe half of the team that is in 50 to 100 percent somewhat um, and the other half that is mainly working remote and my strategy has been to have a couple of meetings that I really want to have in person and basically ask everyone to come in for those. So for instance, retrospectives, um, kickoffs in the beginning of a sprint and one-on-ones are mandatory office meetings and everything else is, is up to the individual. And even going forward, I would say um, I want to have a good reason for that to change. So if there is another good reason for why people should be in the office, then that could be added to the list. But generally, 
I feel that's a good strategy to have. If there isn't a good reason why the group should meet in person, then why not have them remote? And then Frederick, yeah, is your team um, in person, remote or hybrid? Um, yeah, so uh, we are uh, working, let's say, <laughs> uh, hybrid, but together. So um, we always uh, try to sort of be at the office, uh, everyone uh, at the office at the same time, and also at home at the same time, so that um, you don't get sort of half the people at the office and half the people at home, because that doesn't really work. Because, uh, you know, our workspaces, they aren't really built for remote work, uh, as it turns out, at least a lot of them aren't. So uh, so we, we try to have two uh, fixed days a week, um, which we go to the office and then we can have our uh, meetings and uh, have lunch together and sort of build team culture. And then that really helps on the days that you are uh, spending at home, uh, at the home office. Um, and of course, another thing that we have really seen through this pandemic is that um, we do have stakeholders uh, in our product team and the distance between sort of the stakeholder and the product team becomes really huge when you are only working remotely. So um, being at the office, actually going, talking to them in person, that is actually something that really helps build that, build that uh, team spirit. spirit. Perfect. And then I'm getting, um, some, I'm getting some echo. Sorry. Is it me? I'm not sure. <laughs> Hello? Yeah, no, it's fine now. Probably it was me then. Um, I'll put myself back on you, but before I do, Hans, how's your team operated? <clears throat> We're doing a very hybrid, I'd say, and it's very personal. Some people have a situation where they really benefit from being at the office and are more productive being so. Other people, not so much. So uh, I think it's it's very vital, as I see it, to see it as an individual thing, but then also as an individual to step up and be at the office when needed. Um, for sometimes when you have like conceptualizations, you need you do much better in front of whiteboards. I I reckon even though you have great digital tools, also to meet up every once in a while. But I would never force that upon people. I would rather uh, try to have the the sort of pull effect at the office uh, by having a, like a nice office when you you do fun things together in a group and you make sure that it's uh, there is also really good sort of places to sit and do actual work and not just having it as a as a mini uh, sort of uh, Tivoli, but also uh, having like good workspaces at the office. I think that's really important, but I would never force anyone to the office. Uh, but I would, however, I would ask if somebody can't make it ever, that that's uh, usually a sign of something being wrong. So uh, it's, it's very difficult to say uh, again as everything else, because it's so independent uh, and it's so personal. Um, I mean, and the team that uh, currently we're, we're a few people who are who are in basically every day, uh, and there are people who uh, are in most at most once a week. I mean, personally, I made a pledge after Corona to never be in like five days a week uh, because I think it's such a nice thing to be able to work from home and get things done at least once a week. So yeah. The reason I ask is because do you find that when your team are in the office and you can see what they're doing and you're able to like view the full situation that you don't feel like you're micromanaging as much and you can see the accountability or do you find that it makes no difference regardless of where your team is? That's open to anyone. Well, I think it 
it's very much a question of uh, of uh, the, the size of a company and uh, like the culture of the company. Uh, um, where I am now, we have we have so many interactions per day uh, on different projects that we do get these updates anyways. Uh, and uh, I tend to sort of be the person who is uh, responsible for a lot of the practicalities as well. Uh, as a CDO, it's up to me to, to make sure that, that things happen. And uh, a lot of the time things happen is sort of pushing on uh, counterparties to make sure that they reply or like that we make make a plan for uh, how things should be developed on, on the business side. Uh, so I don't really see that much of a difference in if a person is in the office or not. Um, but of course, it's easier to, to sort of see how a person is faring if you're at the office. If somebody is not doing very well, uh, before Corona, that was usually a sign that something was amiss. Uh, but now it's not that clear. So it's, it's getting harder uh, in that way. And there, therefore, I think it's important to have a have a culture that encourages being at the office without forcing it. It's it's very very, <laughs> a very fine uh, di like difference, but there is still a difference between saying you should be at the office because it's easier for me to manage. Uh, but it's also important to make that distinction and and to try to fight that uh, sort of easy way out as a manager and just applying this policy of saying you have to be in the office these many days per week, otherwise you're not doing a good job because. I think at the end of the day, it will just sort of push people away from the company. And if they, it doesn't, it will just create like a like-minded sort of group of people, which is never, ever a good thing. Um, yeah, from my side, I don't see much of a difference either. The thing that I noticed was one team member that we onboarded during the pandemic where everything had to be online basically and that was definitely not the best experience for for him and um just uh, the reaching out to people that you almost that you almost don't know is a lot harder if you are sitting at home and reaching out via some digital tool than um, if someone is sitting just straight next to you. So that that was one thing where I was really, yeah, for his onboarding experience, I would have hoped we could have been all in the office and we're now getting a new team member in August. And I'll definitely, for me, that is one of the good reasons to ask people to be back more than they maybe would do for them, their own sake. Um, not on a 100% level, of course, but like maybe once a week or something. So we can get this more, um, yeah, this easier onboarding and this more inclusive um, feeling for being part of the team. And just to add to that, I mean, um, uh, what the, what I've seen, uh, at least in my team, we have had uh, almost half the team joined during the pandemic. so. Uh, when we were 100% at the home office. And one thing is uh, sort of getting to know the team and sort of creating that culture within our uh, our little product team, which is uh, about uh, seven people. That is fairly simple uh, at the home office. At least it's doable. What is more difficult is sort of creating sort of sense of belonging to the larger organization, um, which, is, which is really key if you want to uh, keep people around right Over, uh, in the long haul because I mean if you're if you're working from home and basically um, the only difference between one employer and the other is the four or five people you meet every day um, 
I mean, that is not a good thing, I think, because uh, you should sort of feel like your workplace, what you do actually makes a difference. But when you are just working from home and don't really necessarily see what it does to the rest of the organization when you um, when you uh, do your work, I think that is something that we have to uh, find arenas for. So uh, that is really important, I think. Perfect. And then, Frederick, do you have, mm, sorry, not Frederick, <laughs> wrong name, listen to speaking. Um, Hans, do you have anything to add before we move on to our next question? Uh, no, I think uh, Katja and Frederick have already mentioned all the, all the good parts on here. I have nothing to add. I can just say that I agree. Perfect. So Frederick, what, what about your question? What kind of areas are you thinking about when structuring your teams? Yeah, so um, I was wondering uh, sort of how we um, uh, as leaders can um, in sort of a balanced way foster a culture of experimentation and continuous learning uh, while still keeping up performance and speed uh, of delivery. Um, because you know, we want to urge our developers to try out new, uh, new things um, like that again. We want to urge uh, our, uh, our, uh, I'll do it again. <laughs> we want to urge our developers to try out new technologies, so fail and uh, maybe try out uh, something that didn't work. I mean, that's sort of part of learning. So, uh, but that also uh, impacts our uh, performance and delivery. So um, any thoughts on how, how to uh, blend those two together and make it actually work <laughs> uh, in reality? I can go first. So I don't think it's a silver bullet, but one thing that we do and that helps, uh, I think, is Hack Tuesdays, which basically every sixth week we have one and a half days where everyone is allowed to just work on whatever they want to do. Um, also very much encouraged to team up with someone outside of your team and get to know something that you don't work with on a day-to-day -day basis. And that definitely helps a lot. We also have um, rewards that we give out at the end of the, of the Hack Tuesday. We have different categories um, that, yeah, with a jury that then decides which of the hacks is getting rewarded which, for which category. And that definitely is a super fun event. I think a lot of us are very much looking forward to these days. And um, yeah. Uh, and another thing in a similar in a similar kind of way um, that we haven't been really doing through the pandemic, but uh, now we actually have one this week. Yeah. Um, something that we haven't been doing during the pandemic, but are now getting back to and we'll have this week our cabin days. So the whole team meets in a cabin for, for like a two night sleepover. And we have a whole day of hacking and just experimenting um, with sort of things. And yeah, exactly the kind of the kind of points that you brought up. And yeah, ideally we want to have that somewhat twice a year if there isn't a pandemic. Cool, really. Sounds really, really fun. Hans, what do you think? What do you do to make sure your team have that culture? Yeah, again, it's it's very much a sort of depends on on the situation you're in. Uh, if you're in a situation where you're at a product company, you're like developing one particular product over time, it gets harder. And uh, doing the things that Katja mentioned, I think is very, very good uh, because it promotes these things, albeit a bit artificially. You have to sort of push for these things to happen. Uh, where I'm at at the moment, uh, we're taking, we're made of more of a, 
consultancy in one way, which means that the things we get in is are like changing a bit more. Uh, and then you can just change who takes the, that particular lead on one uh, one thing. It shouldn't always be the person with the most experience always taking the uh, certain type of things. You should try to 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 uh, at force, but. Uh, Create like incentives for people to take on things that they have are not familiar with, and also taking lead uh, on projects uh, because that's something that promotes this uh, new thinking, and you'll you'll uh, get an organization which constantly learning uh, new things. Um, so that's one thing that I have the luxury to to use at the moment. Um, but then there's always the, the realization that you have some technology that you might have to look into first before you can try it out live in production. So then you have to do something like uh, like Katja mentioned. Uh, but it, I think it's always important to to uh, as a leader to be looking at these things a bit before the, you have to. So when things are going smooth, then you get more time to do this. And that's another reason not to micromanage because if you micromanage, you would never have time to do what you're doing, Katja. And I think the the fact that you that you have this time shows that you have given your your team enough space to do sort of and handle the the normal sort of uh, background noise that keeps coming. Perfect, Frederick. Do you have anything to add on that? Um, yeah. So uh, just one quick thing. Um, there's a loud noise, a loud pinging noise. Uh, it's, I'm not sure where it's coming from, but uh, it's uh, super annoying. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard that too. Now it's gone for a, for a couple of minutes, but yeah. yeah. So if, I don't know if it's a phone or something lying next to the speaker, but uh, maybe put that on mute. <laughs> um, yeah. Perfect. And I think both Frederick and Hans, you've both asked um, questions kind of moving on to how you can empower people and move forward and tackle like both current and future problems. So would you like to like explain that a little bit further while we've got some time left? Uh, Eva, Frederick, would you like to start? Yeah, sure. Um, so, um, yeah. Um, so I've um, uh, recently had a decrease in my team size. So um, um, I have to start over. Uh, <laughs> and could you repeat the question, please? Yeah, no worries. So um, both you and Hans have both asked questions speaking about how you can move forward um, and tackle both current and future problems in like an empowering way. So would you like, like, let's link them together while we've got a few minutes left at the end and get that answered as well? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, so um, in my team, which is a, we are a Empowered product team in Shiftstead, and we are uh, working to um, change the the way we do things because uh, uh, we are trying to move fast and uh, sort of innovate and become the next, uh, the, basically the biggest uh, financial newspaper in Norway. And uh, then you actually really need an empowered product team that can come up with solutions and. Um, driving that sort of transformation from uh, having a small team to having a larger team that can actually work in that sort of way is is really uh, it's not the easiest task uh, in the world and um, we are of course getting there but uh, it takes time and um, and um, so i mean my my real question is sort of how how you should drive those transformation processes uh, within both within the team but also in within the organization so that you can work more 
uh, in a more productive and empowered way. Um, yeah. And Frederick, what what were you thinking about when you wrote that question down? Oh, not sorry. Again, the name again. Hans, <laughs> what were you thinking about when you wrote that question down? Yeah, it's uh, it's a tough thing uh, to to uh, to do, but I was thinking that it's important that if you just focus on solving today's problem, I mean, uh, uh, you would just, you know, I mean, at some point end up with a very ancient tech stack. Uh, so you have to some like uh, raise the bar for you and your team, and not always solve things in this in the simplest way. Uh, it's it's very challenging because in many ways, when you look at things, um, it's so easy to just see like the 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 close gain you would you would have by choosing uh, like something that you're familiar with, the team is familiar with, and you can sort of give a standardized way of, of operating and and solving problem. But that's the challenge to the dare to uh, to take into uh, to um, to account as this learning curve. And here is not something that you as a leader can do yourself. It has to be the team who say, oh, maybe we can solve it like this. And then to dare say, yeah, maybe we can. Let's let's try. Let's 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 have a go at this and just finding a suitable project. Uh, because everything we do in, in agile is, is so focused on uh, on risk minimization and choosing a new tech uh, thing that you don't know anything about. It's very much non-tech um, uh, like risk minimization. So I think you will have to use some of the techniques that you mentioned there, Katja, uh, of having Hack Fridays or uh, similar events, uh, Hack Tuesdays, you call them. I've had done Hack Fridays before, so that's the term I use, but uh, never mind. Uh, it's important to uh, to do these things because that way you take it from something that you don't know anything about to something you do know something about. Um, because, I mean, when uh, Kubernetes was introduced, it was very much like a fringe technology back in 2018 and today if you don't know it if you don't use it it's it's very strange uh, so it's gone like that for in just a couple of years which is super super interesting and i think this pace will just increase so for for you to stay relevant as a person in this domain it's really important as an individual but for a team even more so because if your team comes obsolete it's going to be next to impossible to hire new people to your team so it's something that the business people should be very much focused on as well. Uh, it's only up to you as a leader to tell them and up to you as a leader to encourage the team to take uh, take the risks. Wonderful. And then Katia, would you like to finish it off? Yeah, yeah. so I, I have an example to that. Um, we don't really know yet how it's going to pan out, but um, and it's not necessarily directly in my team, but in... Um, yeah, some other teams in our engineering organization. Um, so our cloud infrastructure, it's funny that you mentioned Kubernetes, um, is not scaling as well as we were hoping it would. And so we know that we need to do some drastic changes to, to it and to the architecture underneath it. And um, what I think one aspect of it is to start with trying to figure out what you actually want to achieve and what kind of skills you need for that. And what we did um, now was basically to hire a, an architect that would help us to actually do the design in the first place, who's basically promised to stay out of the day-to-day -day, um, routines, but instead focus on a design on how our next level of infrastructure should look like. And, and then once that design is, is in place, or at least you've got an idea of it, you can start teaching others and kind of trans yeah, get others on board on this um, and 
you know what kind of skills are missing and what you need to, to teach. I think that is oftentimes the, the first question uh, to um, know in the first place what kind of skills it is you you want to you wanna know more about. Lovely. I think that's a really good place to round us off. But does anybody have anything else they want to add before we finish? Speak now or forever hold your peace. No? Are we all okay? Well, I think we've shared some really good insight in different ways, how the culture impacts and how, you know, you need to make sure that that's that's a big part of your organization so you know you don't micromanage and you don't lose that control in the same way so thank you so much for sharing your views I've really enjoyed listening um yeah it's been definitely been a great podcast and I hope everybody else has enjoyed listening too thank you again to Frederick, Katia and Hans for sharing your thoughts and if anybody has any questions or anything to be directed please let us know and we can arrange another podcast and a part two to follow on but thank you so much for listening going to stop the recording